I'll ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Matthew chapter 24. If you would, please stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word together this morning. Matthew 24, and I'll begin reading at verse 29 through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 24, beginning verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts on its leaves, puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the one left. Therefore stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. You fixed a day, Father, that only you know when Jesus will come back. As we've met today to encourage and exhort one another as we see the day drawing near, We pray that the truths about the return of your son Jesus would so work in us and stir us, Lord, that we would be about your work. Working fervently with expectant hope the soon coming of our Lord Jesus. Father, even now we pray for those amongst us who are listening to this message or watching that 
that are not believers, that, Lord, that you would work in their hearts and show them that they have sinned against you, that you would cause repentance and faith. So, Lord, work in us now. Help us to see the weightiness of the days in which we live. Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus had told the disciples as he spoke to them, he had mourned over the the state of Jerusalem and how they had rejected him. And he said they would not see him again until they said, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They had said that, some of them had when he entered the crowd, when he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now that he had entered Jerusalem, he said, one day you'll, you'll see me again. And on that day you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's that day that Jesus speaks of here in the passage of scripture here in Matthew chapter 24. He speaks of the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And so this morning I want to share with you from this passage of Scripture some soul-stirring truths, which should be true of any message we hear on a Sunday morning. Some soul-stirring truths for those of us who are believers. Truths meant to stir our souls, to raise our heads, and realize that our redemption draws nigh. Amen. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, you're not a, you're not a Christian, you've not been born again, then these truths I share with you are intended to be soul-disturbing truths. There's nothing that you can have in consolation this morning in these truths that are being shared with you if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your soul should be disturbed. I pray you won't leave that way, though. I pray that before you leave this place that you'll have placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and see, and in so doing, you'll have seen that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, but you need only what Jesus has done for us on the cross as we sung about this morning, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not your baptism, not your good works, not your parents' faith, but only trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you be ready for the Lord Jesus when he comes? So let me share with you these soul-stirring truths for some and soul-disturbing truths for others. There's six that I have, and I'll probably get through about four of them this morning, but I'll share all, with, all of them with you, I think, because some of you are obsessive note-takers note and filler, filler blankers or whatever you want to call it. Number one, as we look at the passage of Scripture, one of the things that stood out to me was Jesus' return will be preceded by intense labor pains. Jesus' return will be preceded by intense labor pains. Now, in order for us to see that in the passage of Scripture, we'll have to look earlier in the book or in the chapter of chapter 24. But in chapter 24, beginning with verse 4, on down through verse 14, you have what's been described here as the beginning of labor pains. If you look in your Bible in verse 8, look at verse 8 of chapter 24, you'll notice it says, All these are the beginning of birth pains. 
So the all these is preached about last Sunday. If you look through all those verses, verse 4 through 14, you hear you have wars and rumors of wars, international hostility. There are famines and earthquakes. You have natural disasters that are the beginning of birth pains. You have apostasy, people that, that have made false professions of faith. They're not true believers, but have given the impression that they are. But now they're saying they don't want anything to do with Jesus. There are false teachers arising in that day, characteristic of the time when Jesus will come back. And he says that these are the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains. When you see these things, when you see an earthquake or hear about an earthquake or hear about a coronavirus, what we're to conclude is this. This is the beginning of birth pains. Things are actually going to get worse before they get better. For, but for the believer, when we hear about a coronavirus or the latest earthquake or the war that's about to take place, not only are we to conclude things are going to get worse before they get better, but things are going to get better. We're to conclude when we see these things taking place that Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes, things are going to be better. Amen? So these are the beginning of labor pains, of birth pains. But in verse 15 through 20, there's a particular sharp labor pain. If you look at verse 15, it says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, let that, that, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. We look in the, the parallel text in Luke chapter 21, I believe it is, and you see it tells us the Gentile armies are surrounding Jerusalem. Verse 15 through 20 are talking about a particular sharp birth pain which is the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70. And at that time, surely as it describes in verse 20 or verse 16 through 20, the people of Jerusalem had to flee into the mountains as the Roman army under the leadership of, of Titus came and destroyed and leveled Jerusalem to the ground. Some would look in verse 15 and see a future abomination of desolation in the revealing of the Antichrist. And that certainly is possible, but we know for certain in 70 AD, a desolation of Jerusalem took place. And Luke does describe Gentile armies coming and, and that taking place. So this particular intense labor pain took place in the time of the disciples. They saw it happen in their lifetime. But as we look in verse 21, as I mentioned earlier, things get worse before they get better. There's intense labor pains. Look at verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. And so there's beginning of labor pains. There's an intense, there's a particular labor pain in the destruction of Jerusalem, but there's further intense labor pains. Things continue to worsen. And as we look in verse 23, there's increasing apostasy and false teachers arising in those days. So I've mentioned to you that I want to share some soul-stirring truths for believers. How is it when I say, first of all, that Jesus' return will be preceded by intense labor pains? How's that to stir our soul? Well, look with me in verse 22. Are you looking at your Bible? And it tells us in verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But notice what the end of verse 22 says. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Who's cutting them short? God is. Why is that? Because God 
is in control. God is sovereign, and he will cut short those days so that all the church will not perish in those days. And if you look with me in verse 25, you'll notice there in verse 25 it says, See, I have told you beforehand. These times, these labor pains, this particular intense labor pain and the intense labor pains to follow, things getting worse before they get better, God is sovereign over it. He knows it's going to happen before it happens. See, Jesus says, see, I've told you beforehand. God only knows it's going to happen. Not only does he know it's going to happen before it happens, but he's going to cut those days short. He's sovereign over it. And that is to stir our soul, knowing that he's sovereign and in control of all these things. So when someone, when a woman is in birth pains and in labor pains, the labor pains sometimes are felt by the husband standing beside the bed with fingernails being dug into his wrist perhaps. And the birth pains continue and they increase as the time for the baby to be delivered. But we know for that mother about to give birth with anguish there's also anticipation. Anticipation that the pain will be over. But also anticipation even more so of holding the, and the joy of holding that newborn baby, right? Anticipation of pain being over, but anticipation and joy of holding that newborn baby for the first time. And so as we think about these labor pains to come for us who are believers as the church, knowing that God knows, knows all about it before it happens. In fact, God is sovereign over all of it in the midst of all of it happening. And these birth pains happen and are typical and remind us that Jesus is coming soon. With the anguish that we see around us with the debauchery and all the things we hear on the news and all the stuff that's going on, not to mention all the moral decay of the world around us, we see all these labor pains and we're in anguish around us. There's also an anticipation for us. There's an anticipation that the pain of all of it will be over. The suffering of the church will be over, but also the joy, the joy of being in the presence of Christ. So the labor pains are meant to stir our soul. We see these awful things happening in the world. Yes, it's to cause us pain in our hearts, pain for our loved ones, but also an anticipation that he's coming soon. He's coming soon, and the pain, the suffering of the church will be over, and we'll embrace the inheritance of what it means to be in the very presence of God, to have the full redemption of our bodies. And we see this in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 tells us, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Romans chapter 8 verse 22, personifying creation, it says in verse 22, or I'll start at verse 21 in Romans the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. See those, the same type of language is used, labor pains. The whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, if there's first fruits of the Spirit, you know what that means? That means there's more fruit coming. <laughs> that means it's going to get better for believers ultimately. Amen, church? We who have the first fruits, we also groan. 
who had the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so with the anguish that we sense in the world around us and even in our lives, there's an anticipation of all this suffering and this anguish for the church being over, but also the joyful anticipation of the redemption of our bodies. No more suffering and no more sadness and no more of these things to go through again. Jesus will be, uh, his return will be preceded by intense labor pains. And knowing that God knows about this and God is sovereign over it and what that means for the church openly is to stir, is to stir our souls with joyful anticipation. Secondly, as we look in Matthew 24, Jesus' return will be visible and unmistakable. When Jesus comes back, you're going to know it. We mentioned this last Sunday, but to look back in verse 23, you'll see it says, if anyone says to you in verse 23, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. And so he continues in verse 24 and 25. If anybody has to tell you that Jesus has come back, he's not come back. Because when he comes back, everybody's going to know about it. He's going to come in such a way, so visibly and so magnificently, that every single person in the, in the world is going to know it. And they're going to, in fact, see it. His return will be visible and unmistakable. It's important for me to emphasize visible because some have tried to say that Jesus has returned already in AD 70 or at some other time in an invisible way and now uh, spiritually reigns from his throne. Well, certainly Jesus reigns in heaven right now, but not because he returned already. No, he's coming again. That is yet to happen. And when he does, we're going to know about it. His, his return is going to be as un, unmistakable as the flash of lightning in the sky. That's what we see in verse 27. Look at verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's how unmistakable his return will be. He, it'll be as unmistakable as the appearance of vultures over a dead corpse. According to verse 28, look at it. Wherever the corpse is, there the cultures, the vultures will gather. His return will be as unmistakable as the sun no longer shining, the stars falling from the sky, and the powers of heaven shaking. Look at verse 29. Immediately, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. His coming will be visible and unmistakable. Unmistakable also because he will be seen coming on the clouds. Look at verse 30 in your Bible. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, every person who is alive at that time will see him coming on the clouds of heaven. There'll be a, a different response depending on whether one is a believer or not. Jesus' return will be visible and unmistakable. When they asked Jesus when he was being tried whether or not he was the Christ, he said, you say that I am. And he said, and soon you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. And the old high priest tore his robes and cried out blasphemy. He went ahead and had Jesus led to the cross. But Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, as 
He, actually, the angels told him Jesus was going up on the clouds into heaven. Remember the scene of the ascension of Christ? And, the, and the, you just imagine the disciples standing there looking with their mouths open, watching Jesus go up into the sky. And the angels appeared and said, Boys, why are you looking up into the sky? The Son of Man that you see going to heaven, he's going to come back in just the same way. One day the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back just the way that he left this world in power and great glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus' return will be preceded by intense labor pains. His return will be visible and unmistakable. And number three, Jesus' return will be a day of mourning. A day of mourning for his enemies. It will be a day of mourning for his enemies. Look at verse 30 in your Bible. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. and They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. When he mentions the tribes of the earth in context here, he's talking about all the nations of the earth. He's not talking about the tribes of Israel. He's talking about the nations of the earth will mourn. The peoples of the earth will mourn, the unsaved people. These tribes are the nations of the earth. These people who mourn are those who've rejected Christ. When they see him coming on the clouds, they'll know that their wrath is their judgment is, is imminent. They're the enemies of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. See that? Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. These who... See him who have rejected him. These are the enemies of Jesus who loved the world and rejected Jesus and did not follow him as Lord. They'll wail and cry out because of the impending judgment about to be poured out upon them. Revelation chapter 6 verse 15 through 17 says this. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? For the enemies of Christ, his day of return will be a day of mourning. I was reminded D.A. Carson shared this in a message. He preached this old song. I hadn't heard it in a long time about the great judgment morning. I dreamed at the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. From the throne came a bright shining angel and he stood on the land and the sea. And he swore with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. And they cried, they cried for the rocks and the mountains. And they prayed, but their prayer was too late. Now perhaps you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't think of yourself as an enemy of God though. You don't think of yourself as an enemy of God. But I want to remind you that scripture is clear that we all are indeed his enemies outside of a relationship with God that comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ we are all children of wrath 
like the rest of the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're born into this world destined for the wrath of God to be poured out upon us. And our only hope and our only escape is that God loves this world and He is a just God who will pour His wrath on His enemies. But He came into the world and the wrath was poured out upon Him on the cross for His people. What a God we serve that took, took that place for us. How blasphemous is it for you to trust in being good enough to get to heaven? To trust in anything except what Jesus did on the cross. The wrath was poured out upon him and he took it for us on the cross. But it need, it need, it need not be too late for you this morning. As the old song I just read from, they prayed but their prayers were too late. It doesn't have to be too late for you. He's not come yet. Today's the day of salvation. Repent and believe in the gospel right where you are right now. Call upon him and be saved. Jesus returned. I've shared with you three things. And preceded by intense labor pains and it will be visible and unmistakable in a day of mourning for his enemies but fourthly Jesus' return will be a day of rejoicing for his elect it will be a day of rejoicing for his elect one of my kids has talked a lot recently about the end of the world coming he's real fascinated with that right now and the other day we were going down the road and he said did you hear a trumpet? I said, no, son, I didn't, I didn't hear a trumpet. It's all right. In fact, even if we had heard a trumpet, it would be all right. Because when the trumpet sounds, it's no need to fear for the believer. Amen? It's a, day, it's a, it's a trumpet call of rejoicing. In fact, it's a trumpet call of reunion. As you look at these verses of Scripture, Verse 31 says this, look at your Bible. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Who are the elect? Because it says he will gather the elect. Who are the elect? Well in verse 31, if you look, in verse 31, the elect are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have persevered until the end of this tribulation period. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14 says, I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are ones coming out of great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these who are, will be gathered by the Lord Jesus are those who are believers in the Lord Jesus, called by him, who have persevered to the end. They are continuing to believe. They are not apostate. They have persevered to the end right up until the time that Jesus comes. The elect are also those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and persevered in faith until the end of their lives. When Jesus comes again, there will be those who are the elect who will be left on earth to save the church who will have persevered until he comes. And perhaps that will be in our lifetime, right? 
And then there'll be those coming with him who have died before us, who are believers, who persevered in faith in the Lord Jesus until the end of their lives. They are the elect. They are the church. You may ask yourself this morning, am I one of the elect? Are you one of the elect? I'd ask you this question simply. Are you repenting and trusting in Jesus right now? Right now in your life, Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you what happened years ago. I'm asking you right now. Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Him? Are you placing your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you a repenter? Not you repented 25 years ago. Are you a repenter? Every day, are you saying, No to the world. I'm following Jesus. And when you say yes to the world and you sin, most of us do every day, you're You don't want to. You're saying, God, forgive me. I don't want to displease you. I want to follow you. And you repent. And you keep following Christ. And if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not repenting. What's keeping you from doing so right now where you sit? Is there any reason right now where you're sitting that you should not just right now Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sin. Why would you not do that? Why would you let another breath go by? He doesn't promise you another one. We notice here in this passage of Scripture, this return, a day of rejoicing for the elect. It'll be so because the elect, the church, will be gathered for a great reunion because of the great the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Notice what it says in verse 31. Look at your Bible. He will send out the angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the four winds. What that means is, is that his elect, his church, will be all over the earth. That means the Great Commission will have been fulfilled, just like it talks about in verse 14. When this gospel has been preached to all nations, then the end will come. When that happens, as, as God, in, in God's design, says that all the nations will have been reached, then, it's, then he's going to come back. And then the end will come. Not only will the gospel have been preached to all nations, disciples will have been made of all nations, according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And so when the angels come and the Lord Jesus comes back and he gathers his church that are spread out all over the earth, this great reunion is because of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. There's a lot of things that we can be wrapped up in our lives and and may fail, you know. Our bank account may be empty after all or the job may not be there for us next week or our health may come and go or our loved ones may disappoint us. But this much we know that we can invest in and not be a waste of time is the work that we do for the kingdom of God. The great commission will be fulfilled. The Lord will reach those whom he's calling. Invest your life in great commission work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture, says this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. When it says asleep, it doesn't mean people that are sleeping in the grave like soul sleep. That's a false teaching. 
When people die, they go to one of two places. They either go to heaven immediately or they go to hell immediately. One of two places. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. So when Jesus comes back, it says he's going to bring with him those who've fallen asleep. So if they're coming with him, where are they right now? With him. (laughs) Amen? That means loved ones who are believers in the Lord Jesus, if they're coming with him one day, that means they're with him right now, enjoying his very presence. Amen? They're coming with him. Those are God's elect who persevered in faith to the end of their lives. Then it tells us, verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, that's the elect who persevere until the coming of the Lord who are still alive, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive who are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what do you see taking place in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in verse 31 of our text? A day of rejoicing because of of a great reunion. A reunion with the whole church. A reunion with loved ones. A reunion with saints that have gone before. Oh, if we could look up into the clouds and see the Lord Jesus coming, we'd see the Lord Jesus Christ and that'd be enough. But we'd see Moses coming and Elijah coming and, and Jacob coming and, and, uh, and David coming and Paul coming and Moses coming and Mickey Smith coming and even Alice Robley that breathed her last breath this morning would be coming with him if he came today, amen. He's coming. And those who are left and alive until the coming of the Lord will be gathered up and there'll be a great reunion right, right with him. And at that very moment, when that reunion takes place, the judgment of the earth will take place. The earth will be destroyed to make way for our new eternal home. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, If I was to go into depth on these next few verses then uh, we would be here a long time. But I'm going to give you these last two points and then I'm going to more depth next Sunday as the Lord leads. But fifthly, so fifthly, let me share with you, this, with you about Jesus' return. Jesus' return will, will be soon and could happen in our lifetime. Jesus' return will be soon and could happen in our lifetime. And as we look in verse 32 through 35, certainly that's the emphasis that we see. That generation that sees these things come to pass will not pass away. Well, there's a lot of interpretations about what that means. I believe the Lord Jesus is talking about the generation that he's speaking to at the moment, the church who is seeing these things come to pass and the desolation and destruction of Jerusalem and preceding generations after that who would see these things as well. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 we're told that the Thessalonians should not fear that the day of the Lord has already come because before he comes, a man of lawlessness, a man of sin will be revealed. We sometimes say that's the Antichrist. So we shouldn't think the day of the Lord has come until he comes first. Well, some would say, well, what 
That's true, but that means that there's been a rapture of the church first, and then that happens, and then Jesus comes again. So actually, he's coming two more times. And so to be straightforward with you, I, I believe he's coming one time. I don't believe he's coming to take the church, and then, then all of this is going to happen, and then he's coming again. I think he's coming once, and I think the church is going to be here through all of it. And I see that in the scriptures. So if you're interested in that, we'll get into that more next Sunday morning. Uh, I don't believe the way the Left Behind books teach about that, or as popular as they are, and as good read as they can be and help you evangelistically. Uh, that I don't share that conviction. But I do believe Jesus' return will be soon. And we see that clearly in scripture and anticipated. And, and it could be in our lifetime. Everything that has yet to happen could very well happen in our lifetime. Though his coming is soon and very well could be in our lifetime, though, sixthly, Jesus' return is unpredictable and will be unexpected. It'll be unpredictable and it'll be unexpected. We see in verse 38, it'll be like the days of Noah before the flood came. The days when Jesus come back would be so ordinary. They were eating and drinking and giving in marriage in Noah's day. That's what's emphasized here, not the wickedness of Noah's day, but the ordinary life. That was taking place. Yes, things are going to get worse before they get better, but his coming is going to be unexpected. His coming will be, un it's unpredictable. People, people are getting married. People will be going to college like some of you are getting ready to. Some, getting ready to have children. Getting ready to go do some of the things you're going to do today. And his coming will come at a time when you don't expect. And we don't expect. It'll be a surprise. So without going into depth on those last two points, I want to share this with you. What must believers be doing to be ready for Jesus' return? Well, let me be clear. First of all, there's the only thing you can do to, to be ready to meet Jesus, only thing you can do is trust in Him. You understand? That's it. Believe in him, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. It's the only thing you can do to be ready to meet Jesus. And if, you're all, and if you're already born again, you're already a believer, what must you be doing to be ready as Jesus talks about in these verses? He says in verse 44, Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. How must we be ready? It says in verse 45, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? What must believers be doing to be ready for Jesus' return? Well, we're still believing, we're still repenting, and we're still serving the Lord. We're, we're faithful and wise stewards. We're, we're continuing to serve God. Those of you that are serving the Lord this morning, you keep, you keep serving the Lord, even though you get discouraged, even though maybe you don't see the fruit that you'd like to, even though your heart's heavy because of situations and circumstances in our world or in your own lives, you keep serving the Lord. That's what it means to be ready for the Lord. You don't be found lazy. You don't be found sleeping. You don't be found wondering. You be found doing what the Lord would have you do. I love the old hymn. I don't know a lot of people are familiar with it. It's one the church doesn't sing as much anymore, but it goes like this. O land of rest for thee I sigh When will the moment come When I shall lay my armor by And dwell in peace at home 
We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. And we'll be gathered home. Amen. So brothers and sisters, let us work until Jesus comes. And his work involves leaving this place and telling people about our hope that comes only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great commission work. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, you don't, you're not ready for that day. And the scripture tells you to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Do so today. We'd love to talk with you how, how God may be at work in your heart in that way. And so as we sing this closing song and celebrate who our Lord Jesus Christ is, I can talk with you now or I can talk with you after service is over. We'd love to talk with you about how God's at work in your heart. Let's pray together right now. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we rejoice, Lord, that you are who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be. We thank you, Father, for your great love and patience with this world. And, and we know that it's, your word says that you're not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance, which helps us understand why there's been a delay in your coming. So, Father, help us knowing that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Help us to be about your work, to gather in those that you're bringing to yourself. We pray that you'd work mightily for your glory. Lord, help us to be about your work. I pray for the senior adult this morning that's discouraged because their body is hurting. They can't do the things they used to be able to do. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to be encouraged that the day's coming and they'll have a glorified body. Father, I pray for the heartbroken spouse this morning who so desperately wants to see their husband or their wife come to know you. Father, I pray that you encourage them to continue to share the gospel. Father, I pray for the young person this morning that's tempted so much. They're trying to be a good Christian among their friends or at school and, and they're, they're messing up, they're failing. And the young adult is. They don't want to disappoint you, Lord. None of us do. We're tired of sinning. We want to be completely free from it. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that the day is coming soon when we won't sin anymore. We'll be glorified. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this hymn right now together. You come with God speaking to you.
Sunday's coming back. And so when we meet on Sundays, what we're doing is we're encouraging and exhorting one another in doing so. As much and so more as the day of the Lord is drawing near. We're reminding each other. Whatever's troubling us right now, it's not going to trouble us forever. Amen? Whatever's troubling you right now, it will not trouble you forever. Things are going to get worse here on earth before they get better. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, things are going to get better. In fact, beyond our comprehension. Amen? For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Amen, church? Let's stand together to be dismissed this morning. Bo Belt's going to close us in prayer, but before he closes us in prayer, I want to remind you that we'll have a couple of our deacons in the back who will help take up a benevolence offering to help meet needs of our church family, so you give to that as you feel led. And before Bo prays for us, we're just going to sing this hymn to remind us of what heaven's going to be like for the, for the redeemed. Last verse. When we Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. I'll be standing at the back doors. I'd love a chance to chat with you. I won't shake your hand or anything like that, but I'd love a chance to chat with you. If uh, God's at work in your heart about something we can pray with you about, please let me know that. I'd love the chance to, to talk to you. If you're here, you're not, a, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven. When you die, you'll go to heaven. What, what's, what's keeping you from taking care of that right now? Uh, what's keeping you? I'd love to talk with you about it. Brother Bo? Dear Father, uh, we're just so thankful, uh, thankful for the hope in Jesus that we have. Father, in a, a world of uncertainty right now, there is one certainty, and that's uh, Jesus will return, and you are still in control. Uh, Father, uh, we just thank you for that grace. Um, you know, may we be diligent um, in spreading the gospel. Uh, there's so many people out there that don't have that hope, that are going through these same things that we go through, uh, Father, but uh, lack that hope and uncertainty. Uh, so maybe we we be diligent in taking the gospel, and may your Holy Spirit be at work, uh, Father. Um, just thank you for this message today, and uh, may we be wise in it, and uh, love it, and uh, cherish it, Father. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. 
God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, He lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, He began His public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, He taught, He healed, and He made bold claims, such as saying that He alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the Gospel.